Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Moe speaking, and in this episode, we get to speak with Jeremy Nurse, and we have a great conversation about his life and what led to setting up the 180 Degrees Trust. I really enjoy conversations like this because we get to go in-depth with somebody and find out about their life history, so we're going to get straight into it. If you enjoy this, then don't forget there's hundreds of other episodes in the back catalog, so you might want to check those out as well. And there's heaps more information at theseeds.nz. If you enjoy this episode, then why not tell one other person about the show? Now let's get straight into this conversation. Well, it's a real pleasure to welcome Jeremy Nurse, who's the Managing Trustee of the 180 Degrees Trust. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Stephen. I'm really looking forward to our conversation because you brought in a newsletter, actually. It looks really interesting, all these people out going through rivers and doing some amazing outdoor activities. Um, I'd love to find out more about the Trust and what it's doing, but i also like to find out about a person's life story mm-hmm. and their history because I find that often informs why they do what they do today. So in your case, could we go right back to the beginning and tell us a little bit about your life when you were, say, four or five years old? When you ask that question, there was a naturalist called Dick Morris. He was well-known throughout the country. In fact, he gave broadcasts every Saturday morning on, I don't know what the, maybe in a ZB station, and this would be back in about... Um, 1948, 49, 50. Um, so he'd start off with um, making a noise like a care, and he'd say, what's that, what's that? And he'd say, that's right, that's that, that's that old fellow at the care. And away he'd go about a story about the high country. He was actually a shooter for the forestry department. And he, uh, I go back, and then I wonder, did I actually see a family photograph of this man at that time so but I do remember that so when I was about four um, I remember going off to school at Elmwood school when I was five I remember all the most of the kids in that class when I was five um, and I've run into a few of them over my lifetime so um, off to Elmwood school then to Heaton Street school and then to secondary school so it was a Christchurch based childhood then oh that's right yes very much so yeah. yeah Um, But my father um, had a farming background, so we were always involved um, in farming. We had a farm and we had um, involvement in in a high country block as well up at Lake Sumner. So um, every weekend and as much time in the holidays as possible, we'd all be up there, um, you know, fishing, shooting deer, chasing rabbits, um, digging holes. and um, So it was a pretty, pretty... um, relaxed lifestyle and very enjoyable memories. It sounds like quite an outdoors lifestyle. (laughs) Very very outdoors, yes. We were very physical, very sporty, um, had to go at everything. Um, My parents were very hard workers. Mm. um, But we, um, yeah, we we had some, I've got some happy memories. Mm. And just describe that the farm and the area for those people who haven't been there before. Um, Yeah, what's it like? Um, okay, okay, so this was um, North Canterbury, so um, Lake Sumner is at the headwaters of the Huronui River. Um, so um, my father got the lease of a forestry block there after the Second World War, and um, so that, in conjunction with my uncle, they farmed that. Um, and so that was our headquarters when we went on holidays. Um, so we just 
it was like having a slice of heaven all to our own. Now everyone in New Zealand knows about places like that, and they mm. up they go. But um, and so we learned a lot of um, self-reliance. Um, we learned to be entrepreneurial, I suppose, and nothing the way things we did. Um, and you know, generally very lucky, I'd say. Mm. And what sort of size was it? How many? It was eighteen thousand acres. Wow. Yeah. That's a big block. Yeah, so that was a, <laughs> and it was a cattle run. We had cattle. Um, okay. Yes, yeah, so they had um, a lease for cattle only. Um, That's amazing, though, just the context when we're talking about that, because people today, you know, they might have a lifestyle block, which is ten acres or twenty acres, and run some cows or things, but eighteen thousand acres, like it's massive, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, it wasn't very good land, but um, it was the. Um, a block that had been let go by a station called Glens of Dakar. And so um, my father went into the forestry department and said, hey, what about leasing that to me? And mm. I'll be able to run some cattle on it and we'll be able to do this and do that. So um, that mm. lease was put in place and then it moved to a five-year lease and I'm, we let it go, but I don't know what it is now. It may mm. be longer than five years, but yeah. it's sort of administered by DOC now. Right. Ah, interesting. And in terms of your childhood and growing up through primary school, were there any subjects that stood out to you that you enjoyed more than others? Um, no, I think I just had a crack at everything, really. Um, I do remember being kept in the odd playtime to study maths when I was about age six or seven. Um, I always... The pitch from the teacher was, with me and some other boys, that um, we were so good at maths that we were going to be taught a bit more, but it was probably the other way around. We'd right. Probably, <laughs> we'd probably say naughty and weren't paying attention. But funnily enough, um, maths is one of the subjects that I find I found really easy from that point onward. So hmm. um, probably... Maybe I had worked, that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> like I had that teacher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. Um, but generally they were just like anyone else's days growing up at school. You had your ups and downs and... Um, just face life as it came along each day. Yeah, that's great. And coming through high school, did you have a sense of what you wanted to do in terms of work? Or um, I always wanted to be a farmer. Ah. Um, because my father, um, after the war, um, had a look at farms, um, either in the high country or close to town. But my mother um, basically didn't want to go farming. She wanted to stay in the city, but they did get a smaller farm close to town, so um, that sort of um, took all the boxes for them as a family, mm. as a couple. Yeah. That's yeah. great. And is that what happened then after high school? Um, no, actually, I went to university um, because my parents said you need a lot of capital to be a farmer. Right. And, and so, um, you know... So I went to university. I actually um, studied for a BSc, but I got those in the days when you had eight units, gave you a BSc. I got five in, I think it was zoology, botany, chemistry, geology. Got stage two in a couple of them, but then I just found it so boring that um, then I changed <laughs> to commercial law and um, accounting one and got a job um, with a um, share broker. Um, in the days when you used to go along the stock exchange and stand there and yell out how many shares you wanted to buy or sell. But I'd always go to the top of the building once a week to do the stamp duty, get share. 
and I'd look out into the um, the hills and say, that's right, I need to be and want to be. So finally right. I took the plunge, and away I went, got myself some dogs, and went mustering wow. for about um, three years. And what, what years are we talking when you're doing the share the share sales and things. Okay, I, I left school in um, end of nineteen sixty two, mm-hmm. and so I had I think three years at university. So that what I got me up to sixty five, I suppose, and then, um, and, th- and then I went um, farming after that. So. Yeah, it's just interesting to think about what life was like then, because for some people listening, you know, who obviously weren't born then, mm. the idea of not having everything on computer, you know, or <laughs> not trading, you know, using computer platforms or things, but actually shouting out or raising your hands or, you know, it's it's like a whole different era. It, it was too. And I was the youngest one on the stock exchange for the firm I worked for. And um, yeah, it was quite daunting in a way, everyone yelling and hammering and says, take take a thousand, take 20,000. If, if you said the wrong thing, they say 20,000, you suddenly realize that you'd Given the wrong price, you say right. sell a hundred, um, <laughs> and so you you learn the hard way. Um, but but no, that that was all um, good education and um, mm. good good grounding for all the other things I was going to do in the rest of my life. Mm. I guess it would have given you a base to go from. You know that you do farming, but you'd also yeah. have have your degree and yeah. have done that job. Yeah. And so yeah, what what happens next if you you've got your your dogs and you go mustering how does that talk me through what happens next oh just... right well i um i got a job with my uncle um at lake taylor station that was my first job mm-hmm. um and so um i got a few dogs and they probably weren't very good but i thought they probably thought they were very good but uh, you get better ones uh, cost about a week's wages for a good dog as i remember right um and so you I gradually built up my team, then worked on two or three other stations. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, I shouldn't have gone to university. I should have gone straight to Lincoln College, as it was known in those days. Okay. And yeah. then I would have had a scientific grounding for my um, farming ventures that would have followed. So mm. um, that would have been uh, a better course of action. But I don't regret that. And interestingly, all my friends were getting on the ship and going to England mm. for the OE. But um, my OE was walking along the tops of the Southern Alps and mustering sheep and merinos. And um, yeah. and did you enjoy that life? Absolutely, yes, yeah. I did. Can you tell me about it? Like, because that would be early mornings, late nights, would it? Or, um, yeah, what was it like? Certainly early mornings. Yes. So you did most of your um, big musters for shearing. Um, and crutching things and weaning in the summer. So you had some very hot days then, so you'd get up early in the morning. You might sometimes, if you had a big day, or a lot of country to cover, you might be up at three o'clock. Um, but usually they're about sort of half past four or five, you had breakfast and away you go, and you mm-hmm. sit on the um, in the back of a vehicle, in the back of a truck and with all the dogs barking, or trying to stop them barking actually, um, to where you're gonna start your muster. Mm-hmm. And so you'd, climb up and the, the, as the sun was just starting to rise and, and you'd sort of have that rather satisfying feeling that um, everyone else in town's still asleep but I've sort of done half a day's work. Right. <laughs> um, so usually try and get the sheep off the hill by the time it got too hot. So, you know, mid-afternoon the sheep wanted to stop, the dogs were tired, um, mm. everyone was tired really. So, Right, so you work early, yeah. get it done. Yeah. And then you'd have... Um, 
your, your autumn musters where um, you'd get sheep down um, because the snow was coming so you make sure they weren't um, going to be caught out in the snow in the winter so um, mm. those are long days too yeah and what's it like the connection between you and your dogs I'm really curious about that relationship because it seems like there'd be quite a bond there um, you know like you're working with them every day they're following your instructions and yeah, yeah. Well, tell me about that yeah sure um, well of course I only work f- for my dogs would only work for me or for the their owner mm-hmm. um, I mean they might follow them and you might be able to feed somebody else's dogs but if you want to send them out to get some sh- a few sheep or work them um, on a mob then they if you're buying a dog it'd probably take a week to two weeks before they even started doing stuff for you so right. um, you get their bond going you feed them and give them a pet and look after them so they they see you as the alpha male of the of the team so mm-hmm. soon they um do do your bidding for you mm. and how many dogs would you have typically <laughs> probably probably six um or seven you might have some pups coming on in reality probably two or three dogs did all the work but especially as a young filly you, you thought if you had six dogs you'd feel really good and right you'd feel <laughs> as, as good as the older chaps but actually two or three of your dogs were probably useless but um yeah. or young or whatever so um you probably have a, a, a heading dog and a hunterway that are really good mainstays. They might be a bit older that yeah. you'd bought a bit cheaply, but um, they were good to start off with. Yeah, and the, I'm just, I'm really curious about this. That's why I'm asking so many questions. Yeah. But in terms of on the hill, like the sheep is quite far away, and you're sending the dog out to get them. How are you communicating? Is it through whistling, or uh, yes. Um, well, there's a lot of there's a bit of swearing when things don't go right, <laughs> but uh, that doesn't help really. Um, the only person that helps is yourself. The dog probably doesn't know what you're talking about, but yeah. um, and it's more for anyone else listening that they know that you're not happy with what your dog's doing, so you do a bit of swearing. I, I haven't thought too much about it, but that's probably how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, they're amazing! A, a hitting dog, you know. There's plenty of stories where somebody's looking in binoculars to tell you where your dog is. Um, and uh, that's not my story. That's somebody else's story that, that was doing some mustering somewhere once. But they w- and then you you can train them to have a left, you know, to send the left, send the right, um, go up or down. So you've got all these directional mm. um, whistles for them, um, get them to stop. So they're very very clever, very very intelligent. Um, it's an amazing thing because it, it's basically another form of language, isn't it? You Absolutely. Know, the, the whistling and that the yeah. dogs would understand. Yeah. Like it's yeah. in some ways it blows my mind that you could have different tones and whistles and for coming and going and go there, go right, go left. Yeah. And then, of course, the dog has to want to work for you. It has to be a willing, right. um, wants to work sheep. If, if it doesn't want to work sheep, there's nothing to do about that. It could be very intelligent. It's shaking hands or yeah. standing on its back feet. But if it doesn't want to work sheep, it's no good for you. Yeah. Wow. And what would be the typical lifespan for a working dog like that? Probably right? six years. Right. Because they get really worn out. Yeah. Um, um, it's just on a big station, it's day after day with dog work. Um, yeah. Not always mustering big blocks, but you're always doing something. And um, no, six years would pull them up yeah whereas you get pet dogs sort of 12 
longer. For 10 years. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And you're obviously out in nature a lot. <laughs> yeah. What What was your feelings or your, did, did you find that that grew for your connection or appreciation of the beauty around you? Oh, definitely. Uh, I thought I was the luckiest person in the world doing what I was doing and getting paid for it. Mm. Um, and you didn't probably think too much about your career, but um, you thought that would fall into place somewhere along the line in the future. But um, no, you, you, you're very appreciative of the um, of of the birds and the and the you know you'd a lot of deer around there and wild pigs and um, you got to know all the most of the native bushes and things. So if you didn't know them, you'd ask someone. So that was always something I liked to do, and that probably sprung a bit from my um, having Botany 1 and Botany 2 from university. Right. Um, so I was always a bit interested in that. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing thing. I interviewed someone else who was a shepherd. That's what he called himself, and he described being out in nature and just yeah. appreciating the setting sun, the rising sun, the wind, the rain, like in a way that for those of us who work in an office, which is me, <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting in front of a computer screen, yeah. you know, I just don't have that same connection or the, yeah. the depth that, that he seemed to have. Yeah, I, I don't think I got a, up every morning or end every day watery-eyed about what I've seen every day, but you do yeah. have a very... Um, and, and that goes back to your upbringing, that your parents were always making, you know, subtly, I suppose, making you realise what was going on yeah. in the high country. Yeah, it's yeah. great. So how long did you end up doing that for? Um Sort of the mustering side of things till about 1969, and then um, my wife and I got married in mm-hmm. 1970, and so then we, um, then I got a couple of managers' jobs after that. Um, so that was my start off um, on my trip to farm ownership. Mm-hmm. And was that always in the South Island? No, it was area? in the North Island actually. Oh, okay. yeah. Yep. Um, so it was in the Wairarapa firstly, and then the Hawkes Bay. Mm-hmm. And then we came back down, um, I think, th- three or four years later, and bought, I think, 90, uh, about 73, I think, we came back down and bought our first block of land. Okay. Yeah. And um, so we're very lucky. I think we bought it. Um, I was telling the staff about the story the other day, actually. If you hit the land boom at the right time, we bought it for something... We we bought it for I'm just trying to trying to remember the price something like um, four hundred thousand, and we sold it for eight hundred thousand in two years. Um, it was just an amazing. We just hit the hit a property peak in right. the time, yeah. and we were able to get into our next farm. Right, and so we sort of did a stepping stone farm situation. Mm. Well, it's often like that. It's the the timing and the you know, yep. the luck of the draw <laughs> yeah. as to yep. what, what you can get. That's right, yes, mm. so we were a bit lucky there. Yeah. So um, then through the next sort of few decades, I guess, what what were you mainly doing? Was it beef farming or sheep or um, a bit of both? Yep. Or? C- certainly we had our, um, we still had access to the 18,000 acres for um, our cattle okay. enterprise and then we had um, a farm in Cheviot. So we that was our sort of um, basic economic unit there. So we and then we bought some more land to go with that at one stage. So mm-hmm. we built it up, um, and then um, 
we sold that and bought a property um, up the Clarence Valley, North Kaikoura, mm. so that's where we did most of our bringing up our children, and that was a fantastic life. Yeah. On the Clarence River, there was um, then we had you know, a lot of hunting and <clears throat> chamois and deer, and we used to catch deer, and um, it's a pretty exciting life. Yeah. Well, all this is really helpful to understand because we're going to be talking about the trust, mm. and I think it's always good to know the context of a person's life and what's led them to to do what they do. Yeah. Um, so can you describe a little bit about the origins of the trust? Like, I think before we started recording, you said it had been going, what, about 14 or 15 years? Yeah. Like, well, tell, tell me about what was happening in the lead up to that. Okay, so um, when our children had we'd finished all the schooling, they left school, we sold our farm up the Clarence Valley and came to town and I had a few business um, things that I was helping people with and mm -hmm. doing and my wife took up her brushes again so that was really good for her and she had a little art school as well so she was teaching art um, so that really took off for her um, and then I was approached to do some administration work for a charitable trust um, over in the East Christchurch called the Delta Community Support Trust um, and we bought the Shirley Rugby Football Club rooms, which I was had a fair bit to do with. So um, that was a, quite a satisfying thing that I did um, for myself, <laughs> as much as anyone else. I mean, it was I helped I helped a lot of other people, but I certainly enjoyed doing it. Um, and then we started various divisions, and the only division we didn't get going we didn't have there was for youth hmm. and so we I started the youth division and it became so successful that um, and then we other staff thought um, you know probably a bit too much horsepower was going into the youth division so I thought well how can we actually build this and what will be the vehicle if you like that we'd use to make contact with the youth and what seemed more logical than um, you know, I'm, I, I'd done the um, the boast to boast, um, as I call it, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so um, and then I loved the high country. So what about introducing these kids um, who had no chance of doing these things and right. just giving them a taste, and that would be um, the conduit, the way that we'd make contact with them mm. and um, just show them the other side of life. Mm. And so we started that. Um, and it, it just took off. It wow. just went. I mean, we put our own money in for the first two or three years and um, and just bit the ball a bit. And then we got recognised by the government and got a contract. And then other um, trusts, um, supportive trusts and yeah. private individuals um, give us money every year. And we, we just... And now the phone goes all the time. And, Does it? <laughs> um, and so we use... Um, you know, to be able to take the kids into the high country and be in a hut or around a campfire, mm -hmm. and it's just a whole new experience for them. They get to mix, they get to meet farmers who just accept them for what they are as they walk up, shake hands, say good day, and all of a sudden they realise the farmer doesn't know anything about them, mm -hmm. and they're just talking to them as an individual, and you can just see them, their statue lift. Um, they look the farmer in the eye, and they've got lots to say and lots of questions, mm -hmm. and and we're not a boot camp or a brat camp. We're a, um, 
a very kindly but very firm um, um, organization with mm. the kids. So it's really giving people, young people, an opportunity to experience something that they would never normally have, right? Like, because before we started recording, you were saying how you can see their faces as they're leaving Christchurch. Yeah. Maybe you can just describe that, what's happening and the emotions on their face. Oh, yes. Well, I, I, there's two stories here that I can think of straight away, and that's we're going up past the Northlands Mall, and we got up past some beads, and this boy said, where are we going? Sort of almost panicking, and I said, oh, we're just heading up. You know, I've, I've, look at your... You know, a bit of paper there. We're, we're going up to Lake Sumner, and he's, and we get over the Sticks Bridge, and he's really starting to sweat. And, and so I say, we've got another two hours to go yet. Right. Um, but anyway, he he was right. He, you know, he's just aghast when he gets up there. That that what what what's up there? Here's a river. Here's some cliffs, and there's a bit of snow in the background. And he runs up a shingle slide, and he's staying in the shearers' quarters, and it's just something he's never imagined was there he hasn't even probably even heard about it mm. and then the other side of the coin is you take um you know i can remember a boy coming back uh, we're dropping off um over the new brighton area and having had a f- absolutely fun four days away he gets more quiet uh, quieter and quieter but more mm. morose and then he says oh i've got to go and handle my mother she'll have a new boyfriend and she'll be stoned and oh, i don't want to go back and, and so then you've got to say to them well you know we're your family for this week or for the time that you're on our course right but you'll always have your own family you'll always have your mother and you'll well she's looking after you hopefully at the moment you might be looking after her mm. um, in a few years time so mm. um yeah, um, and I also say to them, um, we've, you're with us and you're with Fred, our mentor, for um, three months or so many weeks or whatever. Mm. Um, make the most of it, you know, really, really tap them on the shoulder and say, come on, um, you know, I, I want to be Prime Minister next week, so um, what do I have to do to be Prime Minister? I want to do this or I want to do that. I want to go mountain biking, you know. So you... You make the most of your time with us. I mean, we're going to inspire you and put a few uh, ideas in front of you, but also you make... Because most of our young people are referred from the youth court because that's where our contract is with the government. So um, they sometimes have community hours to do, but mostly these days they have to commit mm-hmm. to a programme of some sort and... Committing to 180 isn't a penalty for them. It's I like to think it's almost a privilege for them. I, well, I, I don't want to use that word, but it's all it's it's a really fun idea to come and do something really different. They nominate um, there's five organisations, uh, five NGOs that have got contracts with um, Ringatamariki mm-hmm. for this Fresh Start um, mentoring program. Ours is called Fresh Start Mentoring with Cam- High Country Camps. Mm-hmm. And so that's our speciality. You might there's another one that has a Christian um, um, influence in it. There's another one that does um, um, carving, uh, Maori carving. Um, another one that um, does surfing and that sort of thing. So everyone's got a flavour of its own. But ours is the high country one. Um, 
I suppose you could call it, um, you know, a lot of people call it adventure therapy, which mm -hmm. I suppose is a good word. It's um, As a muster, it's not a word that springs easily off my lips, but um, it is one that everyone understands. Mm. And certainly when you get out there, and we have little booklets now, if, if we go away, um, if we're away for sort of four days, um, each time we come into camp, back into the hut or back into the sheriff's quarters, um, this, we give them some time after dinner to write down their little booklets, how they felt, what was the upside of their day. Um, we got various questions, who they helped, mm. um, who helped them. Um, and so they're really, and then that's their private booklet. They don't ne need to show anyone else. Right. Um, we see them because we take them in at the end of each day and we see what they've written and we tell them that we'll be looking at it and if they want to talk about anything, they can. Mm. Um, so... Um, it's interesting when you contrast that to when we first started out and we were we didn't have any contracts or didn't have any money coming in, just our own. We had a great rapport with the police who were really helpful. Mm. Um, and they, in each police station, would have 30 um, sort of mug shots uh, of the 30 hardest core um, kids between the age of 14 and 17, Okay, as it was in the age, age range. And... And they would always refer these kids and say, would you take them out and would you take them, sort them out and rah, rah, rah. So right. our sort of modus operandi was um, with the staff we had was a bit more um, boot campy, brat campy uh, for a couple of years there while we sort of got the hang of it. And then we certainly found out that that, wasn't the way to inspire kids mm. that, you know you didn't mind you had some real tough kids you know, had a couple of kids that had been um, accused of murder right um, yeah. kids that were very very violent that would hit people when they weren't looking and mm. um, punch everyone so we've got a lot better protocols now in place to yeah to handle that sort of thing and talk to us about some of the transformations that you've seen in some of these people coming because 14 15 years that's a long time now mm. um are there any examples of somebody who came you know a decade ago and now look at the change that it ha had yeah sure um of course um to have a um a longitudinal study a linear study would be ideal um which is something we've always wanted but we really the expense to run that as you just have, some, have someone committed for yeah. one or two years at quite a high salary so we until somebody comes up with some funding for that or we get spare cash we, can, we can't do that so we it's more anecdotal mm. but I can think of um, quite a few stories we had someone that roared in not so long ago and um, he was in a little sabar in Prisa and um, I could see a, um, a child's car seat in the back and I heard him say as he's sort of standing outside, is Jeremy here? And I said, and my one of my guys said, yes, he's in here. So he came in and he said, oh, remember me? And I said, oh, yes, I sure do. He said, I was a little bastard, wasn't I? <laughs> and I said, you sure were. <laughs> and there he was. So he tells me he's foreman of a scaffolding firm. Huh. And so he's found his way. Yeah. We had another guy, um, we had a, a group of kids in there getting ready for a trip to go away and this guy came in and he said oh I oh, just um and his arm in a sling and he said um he was an arborist he'd got a job that was his first job right and he said well can I come and talk to the guys I said, yeah sure 
So everyone's, the kids were had about nine kids sitting around, and he comes up and he says, "Oh, I used to be, I used to come to 180. Now, now I've got this job." And he looks at them all, and he looks at one guy in particular. And he says, "I bet you take drugs." And the chap sort of tries to hide himself away a bit and won't look at him. He said, "You do, don't you? you you're just a fool, you know." And then he gives him a whole lecture about right. about where he was used to be and and. Um, Probably one of the, we had a little school at one stage, an alternative education school, um, probably for about uh, eight years. And then it got too constrictive and we couldn't really do the stuff that we wanted to do with it. But but still we had some great times at that school. And I do remember taking um, three boys away, um, just my one other staff member and myself took three boys away up to Lake Taylor Station for mm. um, a couple of nights and they were the worst ones in the school. They'd swear they would play tricks on the teacher. They would do. They were so badly behaved that mm. we almost think of letting them go to the school. We took them up there. They were absolutely gobsmacked at being out in the high country. They didn't swear once. They were asking a lot of good questions, and they were just different kids. Mm. And so. Um, because when they got back to town next week, they were back their old tricks in a way, not quite as bad, because when one of us showed up that had been away with them, they would suddenly sort of, well, not jump to attention, but they would they would perk up a bit and then come and have a good conversation with mm-hmm. us. Um, so, yeah, there's lo- lots of good stories like that that we've mm-hmm. got. Um, we've recently um, had police from the, South, from the North Island um, uh, contact us and ask us if we'd take... Um, the young people down on camps down here. So we've probably taken about 11 now in the last 12 months. Mm. And so they've come down. Um, ideally, we like to interview the kids first, so we just had to um, rely till the police just sort of what we expect and what to look out for. And so these were kids that the police were going to their families and saying, look, um, if you do this again, we're going to have to lay charges. So what right. are you going to do about it? And these kids, even as young as 12, basically 12 to 15-year-olds. So there were there's some really good stories. Um, the, the three came down towards the end of last year, end of 2021, and joined up the group of kids here. Mm. And when they we go out the airport, pick them up, and then we take bring them into our headquarters, and we um, they can come down in sand shoes and mm. t-shirt and shorts sort of thing. But we've got everything else for them: all the outdoor gear, sleeping bags, um, packs, um, you name it, boots, um, mm. even spare clothes. So, for you know, all the other ones get wet. And so we have these games and little team games before we leave, where there's two or three in this team, two or three in that team, and and so they it might be skipping or whatever it is, and they're competing against each other. So instead of eyeing each other up and wondering where a knife is to stab someone, they're bonding mm. away. And then we change the teams around. So, so those two are with that one over there, and by the time they leave and get in our vehicles, they're all good friends. Right. And the same thing happens when we get up on camp. The same sort of things happen. So it's all. Um, bonding um, and respect and thinking about the others and you know you you might be feeling good today but tomorrow you might be sick and you mm. might have a stomach ache or whatever so you know who are you going to help today um, mm. anyway these two young people came down um, one of them was a little girl who had been um, earmarked by the gang for for 
duties when soon as she got a bit older mm. um, and she was 13 um, and the other little boy was 14 uh, these are both little Maoris and um, the 14 year old um, wouldn't go to school because he said he was too dumb and didn't know anything everyone called him dumb um, and he was always fighting anyway so I remember sitting around the sheriff's quarters and I had um, the latest issue of the press um, edition of the press sitting there and I had to open on the Sudoku page where there were, uh, you probably know the mm. easy, medium and hard so I said Ever done Sudoku? No, he hadn't, he said. I said, well, this is... So we started on the easy one. I sort of showed him how to do it. Boom, just did it straight away. Hmm. Um, never a smile from this boy. Absolutely serious. And then so I said, well, do you want us to try the next one? So he did the medium. So 10 minutes later, I said, oh, I've done that. I said, well, now the hardest... Probably, you know, it takes me all day to do the hard one. Hmm. Um, anyway, he did that in a flash. And I said, so don't tell me that you're not clever because you're probably the cleverest boy in the whole North Island. Um, <laughs> you know, you could do anything. You could be Prime Minister at the end of the week. Mm. And um, so he went back and uh, he, we had our Southern Outs Traverse at the beginning of December every year. That's the big trip from Hokitika to New Brighton. And so uh, the police up there said, oh, well, uh, we rang them up and said, would you like to send those three down now Southern Isles Traverse? And um, they said, well, I'm not going to send this young fellow because thanks to you guys, he's gone back to school and he's doing really well. Wow. So That's great. Well, I love anecdotal evidence, yeah. and that's definitely stories yeah. that show the impact. And I think what I'm taking from you is that having people in a certain context or a certain world that that's all they've ever known and showing them the outdoors, nature, yeah. community, caring for each other. Like, yeah. it's just expanding the horizon, isn't it, of oh, yeah. people that they yeah. can then go back into yeah. their context and yeah. maybe bring some of that with them. Yeah. Mm. And most of our kids are, you know, neurodi neurodiverse. They're, um, they've all got something going on at home or in, with their own personality. Mm -hmm. um, and so you've got to deal with that. And that comes with a professional um, advice on what's going on sometimes, but you've always got to be aware of that. Mm. It's very seldom um, the kids we have don't have something interesting going on. It's just not they're taking a bit of a dip in life or something. They've really got something going on. So, And the staff we have now are just so, well, they've always been good, but they're just amazing. Mm. And so they've all got degrees and various um, great. Um, areas that they need degrees in. Um, mm. And, yeah, we've got a great culture in there, and um, so that's what we build on. Yeah. And so how many young people would be you be connecting with I don't know the right phrase, but like in a calendar year or something, is it, is well, it easy to quantify? Or? Yeah, well, so far to the end of July, what's that, seven months, we've had 22 camps mm -hmm. and we've taken 65 young people in those camps. Wow. Um, and then as well as that, we've got um, our mentoring only uh, young people that we see once a week and... So we probably see about 40 a year there. So we probably see a bit over 100 young people per year mm -hmm. um, that we mentor. So it's pretty pretty intense. Um, the interesting thing too is, um, which gives me a real thrill, um, 
is that you've been on camp, you've dropped the kids off and you come back into town, you've been away for three days in the high country somewhere, everyone's tired and wet and hungry and everything else. You drop the kids off, you come back um, to have a bit of a clean-up at our headquarters and all the staff do is talk about the kids that they've had. They don't mm. talk about what they're going to do on the weekend or when they're going to have a beer. And I think It's all about... Um, you know, the headway they made with some young people or the, um, uh, you know, the, the, the milestones that have been achieved on, on that trip. And, um, mm-hmm. That's really great. Yeah, it's, so it's definitely the, the right attitude. Yeah, the weird, <laughs> it's, it's real dedication. Yeah, that's awesome. And you brought in um, one of your latest newsletters, so I was just looking at it and just seeing the names of all. You've got a number of trustees there. You've got the staff, <coughs> the mentoring staff. You've got you know, funders. It's really great that so many people have come in behind to support it. Yes, you've got a real cross-section of um, horsepower there Yeah. Um, with the trustees we got, and they're, they're really fabulous. They, um, they're very caring. They don't um, come in too often and want to sort of change things around too much. So, But having said that, they do guide the whole mm. um, structure and strategy of, of 180. Yeah. Well, that's the ideal thing for a board is to be forward-looking, future-focused strategy rather than in the detail of the day-to-day. So, Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah that yeah. would be maddening. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, it's been really great to talk with you. And what we'll do is in the show notes, we'll put a link to the website so that people can click and they can find out more. Yeah. Um, and if they're interested, they can reach out and you know find out ways of supporting and getting involved um yeah it's really good initiative to hear about so i also really loved hearing your story and what's led you to set this up you know that background of growing up yourself as a child going out into a farm you know into the country into nature and then that being really your first real job mustering the sheep and um that connection that you had with the dogs and things Mm -hmm. and then through the farming years and then this is really a way that you're looking to give back and support the young people today so i always love to hear not just the what are you doing today it's what's led to what you do today so i really appreciate your time yep i appreciate uh, having the opportunity thank you well i do hope you enjoyed that conversation with jeremy there was a bunch of highlights to me and i liked how he's been able to integrate his life things that he's really passionate about and now he gets to help young people see what they'll be passionate about there's more information at their website and you can get to that in the show notes until next time (music) 